Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford, the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it's a great privilege to be able to reach out to our saints' family across the world, and particularly my wonderful church uh, congregation here in Dallas. For a moment there, I was trying to figure out how to classify these people. You know, you can get in trouble if you choose the wrong word. But really, we're very thankful for what God is doing here among us, and we're incredibly thankful for the great number of brothers and sisters that God has united us with throughout the world. What a blessing to be saints in God's kingdom. Today is a very unique Wednesday because we are in the middle of the month of July, which is the seventh month. And throughout the past number of years, we have been, as a Saints Network, trying to follow the directive of God, which is primarily listed in the book of Zechariah, concerning the fast of feasting, that the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth months would be specifically designed for us to purify ourselves, to brighten our outlook, and to present ourselves to be part of the army of the Lord. We've taught on this so many times over the years, and it's become second nature for us as saints. And today, for those of you who are in Dallas, as well as through the remaining Wednesday nights, uh, today is the 14th, will be the 21st and the 28th, we are going to be gathering together to pray, just to pray on Wednesday evenings at six o'clock. And we're going to be aligning ourselves with various facets of what God commanded his people in the book of Zechariah in chapter eight. And again, he references this in other places as well. For the people in Zechariah's day, they were preparing themselves to go back to Jerusalem and to support the work that, of restoration that was already being done there. And, um, you know, God began to mobilize at the, toward the conclusion of the 70 years of, of captivity um, in Babylon. God began to meticulously put things in place so that the people could return. And, you know, he, he, he began this, of course, through intercession, Daniel's intercession, Ezekiel's intercession, the intercession of many other godly individuals who were hearing from God and lifting their voice because everything begins with the voice of intercession. Uh, but God began to work in the, the governmental strata. You know, Zerubbabel was very instrumental in beginning to put the pieces together before God could send forth the, the waves of people that would return to uh, Jerusalem. Now, as we know so often in, in life, people can be at a place and not be ready to be at that place. People can be positioned in the timing of God but yet their heart might not be right. People can be, and there are myriad examples of this in the scripture. You know, think about the ascension of Jesus, where people were watching him go up into the clouds, the presence of the angels were there, and the Bible says some doubted. I don't know how that could be. On the day of Pentecost, tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the church was born, and there were those that were there witnessing all of it and saying in a mocking fashion, these people who are receiving this visitation are drunk. So the, the fact remains that when Israel was sent away into captivity, they were sent away because they had forgotten about God. 
They'd forgotten their heritage. They'd forgotten his commandments. And they had fallen into the, the depravities of darkness. And I would say sin, but it was much worse than that. They weren't missing the mark only. They were, they were creating the crooked arrows. And God had enough of it. And he sent them away with great judgment into Babylon. And he said, for 70 years, you're going to be here. Well, those people, many of them turned and thrived. But so many of the people, just as a common thought, began to immortalize things that happened in the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month that were disastrous in their memories. And every one of those months, for those many decades, they would lament, and they would complain, and they would cry, and they would question God. And it just became a debacle. You know, how many times in life do people languish in their bitterness? You know, circumstances in life, we've said this many times, uh, the way you react will either make you bitter or better. And that is a truism for all of us. How we respond and how we turn to God will determine whether we're going to overcome or be defeated or simply languish and stew in the broth of that defeat. You know, an old friend of mine many years ago said, it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude. And that's very true. But when God looked at his people at the end, toward the end of the 70 years that had been prophesied, he, he said, you have to do something about this continual lamenting, which has become feasts of bitterness and strife. And you need to turn those four months into something else. You need to turn them into points of victory rather than despair. And as you turn them into victory, you will prepare yourself to partner with the Lord of hosts, because that dimension, that name of God, is the one that commanded these feasts. And so here's what you must do. And it's spelled out wonderfully in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. The word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Those are powerful words. We've looked at them from many different angles. And the main thing that we did initially was to say, I remember those first days when God began to speak to us about this. During this month, you need to put away bitterness. During this month, we, you need to put away complaint. During this month, instead of feasting on your sorrows, you need to fast those things, and you need to begin to look in a positive way. And that was difficult for a lot of folks. We would have gatherings. We would have literal feasts here. And we did this in other nations, too. And we would, I would say, Okay, we're going to come together, and the only thing we're going to do is speak good things. We're going to speak things that God is doing, and we're going to speak good things. Nobody's to utter a complaint. Nobody is to tell their sad story. And it was really, it was really a funny thing. I remember one of the times we, did, we had our seminar, a national seminar in France, and at the hotel there, Luke and Sylvie arranged for us to have a, a very big eating area. And the restaurant provided wonderful food. And we told the folks, we're going to come and we're only going to speak good things. And we're not going to say anything negative. It was really quiet at those tables for a long time. And then suddenly, some funny things started to happen. And people started to laugh. And it was good. But it was difficult for people, when they got together, not to gripe and complain. 
And that's not just with French people, that's with people all over the world. I mean, the, mankind uh, is prone to tell their sad stories. And um, it can be damning to you. It can be damaging. So God said, okay, all of my people, we're about to engage in a miraculous return to Jerusalem. And it's going to happen in waves. But what I want you to do is I want you to do away with these, well, a third of the year they had devoted to lamenting. And a lot of that lamenting was complaining against God. It wasn't God's fault. It was their fault because they abandoned him and left him and served other gods, demons. And it led them into bondage. All that being said, this month, this seventh month, we believe that it's a time of new beginnings. We are all emerging out of the pandemic restrictions and what, whatever God, many things God was doing during the midst of those challenging times, he was blessing his people. But now we're getting ready to move into a great time of harvest and a great time of moving forward into new terrain, into new places. And we need to make sure that as we go into those times of promise, at those times of fulfillments of promise, um, that we don't carry with us the baggage of woeful lamenting or any kind of lamenting. Sometimes people don't really lament woefully. I remember we used to have such a thing as testimony service. Testimony night. Usually it was Wednesday night or the midweek service. And the pastor, you'd do your obligatory hymn singing, and then he'd say, okay, it's time for testimonies. And I remember just as a little boy listening to this. Some people would stand up and they'd say, oh, you know, the Lord's done so many wonderful things for me, or they'd tell about something good. But about half the people would stand up, and what they would do, it wasn't a testimony. It was a complaint. I, I remember hearing one guy, and I've joked about this, bless God, the devil's been after me all week. <laughs> That's a statement. That's a statement, isn't it? And you'd hear people just get up and ramble on about all their problems. It was like the old hee-haw hymn, gloom, despair, and agony's been on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. And off they'd go. So you can provide lamenting and wrap it up in, in Thanksgiving paper, but it still stinks as bad. So we've got to be very careful to look at our lives and say, Father, not just during the pandemic season, but at any time in my life, have I embraced a sad song, a song sung blue? Am I singing the blues instead of singing to you? God help you to, if you're singing the blues to him, that would be awful. Sometimes you hear hymns that are written and you think, oh my goodness, this is terrible. There's no praise to the Lord in this at all. And we've got to be careful to get that out of us. And so we, we come this month and we say, Lord, search me, as David said, try my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. Purge me. Cleanse me. And, and that is what we must do. But we should also do something else. Not only do we purge ourselves of those wicked, downing kind of thoughts and expressions, but we should be doing proactive things. And so this Wednesday, today, we're looking at the joy and the gladness that we, are, we just read about it. We should be speaking joy and gladness. Next week, we'll talk about another facet, about what it means to be engaged in the tobe. And the following week, we'll speak about the gates and, and what we do in regard to 
the places that God is going to launch us out from and how we will begin to gain um, divine commerce, uh, effective commerce. And those are principles. Those are divine factors. So today we're looking at joy and gladness. And when we come together to pray at our church tonight, we need to be focusing on that. And wherever you are, you can join in prayer. We're going before the same throne of God, our wonderful Heavenly Father. And this would be something that all of the saints, wherever you are, whatever church, whatever prayer group, whatever outpost you are assigned in, you need to be doing this for your own life. We in Dallas are doing it for the whole month, as you should be. But tonight, in prayer, we're focusing about this. Now, we've taught a lot about Simca and Sesson. And so I'm not going to go back through the rudimentary understandings of this. We've talked, written about the joy of the Lord. We've written about the seasons of God and the, and, and the various nuances of this throughout the Scripture. We don't have the time, nor do we have the, uh, the, the intent to do that today. But we are going to speak some, perhaps some new differentiations between what, between Simcha and Sesson. And we're going to see what the Lord, joy in Zechariah 8 is Sesson, and Simcha is gladness. And we're going to see why it's in that order in Zechariah 8. So let's look at this, because that, that order is significant. It says something more than what the, the, the outward page would indicate. Now, in, in the Old Testament, in Biblical Hebrew, simcha, well, we say simha, but it's simcha. You always have to have that good lather up when you say the C. Simcha is... Uh, is really the internal. Uh, it, is, it is what you are feeling inside. And it really indicates the beginnings of something. And that's very important. Sesson, from which I believe we gain through the, uh, the way it, the Hebrews spread into the various languages and into Greece, Greek and then to Roman and Latin and then into the Romance languages and so forth. Uh, Sesson is, is really what you do outwardly. It is the external expression of an inner happiness. It is the realization of something. So Simcha and Sesson, they work together. And, um, uh, but Simcha is really that internal, that beginning point, what you mull over within yourself. And it is, it is the way things usually transpire. So when we say Sesson then begins the season, and we've said, well, you just know the seasons of the Lord. You know how he's doing a thing and you respect that. And we, we call the seasons of the year. Why do we call them that? The calendar on the wall looks the same. But from the external, the, the way the weather changes usually, um, the way the colors of the, the leaves on the trees or things that are growing or not growing, uh, whether you wear different clothing. You know, there used to be, well, you don't wear bright colors till after Easter. You know, we used to hear that, and, and seasons depend, determ, are determined by outward and, and uh, the expression that you, uh, that you indicate is, is part of that outward expression. You know, we sing the, the Christmas hymn, "'Tis the season to be jolly." You know, well, it's, what do you do externally? So Simcha, is the internal, it's the joy that's inside. And gladness, the expression, is cesson. Now, let's look at two really unique passages of Scripture. They're both in Isaiah. The first is Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, verse 10. 
Let me get to it here. Now, this scripture says, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Here, joy and gladness is simcha and sesson. And they obtain this, and sorrow and sighing flee away. Again, in, in biblical Hebrew, sorrow and sighing are antonyms to these words. In other words, they are opposites. So wherever you see sorrow and mourning or sorrow and sighing, they, those are antonyms to what simcha and sesson are. And here in Isaiah 35, he's really prophesying about what was going to be happening in Zechariah's day. And he's telling the people that they need to begin to, uh, they need to begin internally to prepare themselves for what is going to express itself outwardly. And so the normative simcha preceding sesson happens. But then when you come later in the book of Isaiah to Isaiah 51, area 51, Isaiah 51, verse 11. Here you find basically the same verse, but it's preceded by verse 10. Awake, awake, or verse 9. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art not thou that, have cut, that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? And it goes on, uh, we'll read verse 10 and 11. Art not thou, art thou not it which hath dried up the sea and waters of the great deep that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord, therefore the redeemed of the Lord, remember we used to sing that? Shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and mourning will flee away. Now what's significant about this? Here, Sasson, in a, in a rarer instance, Sasson precedes Simcha. Because when God arises, and when God comes in his messianic delivering form in any of the messianic scriptures sasson the outward expression happens first when the messiah when the deliverer actually comes and then that creates the expressions of wonderment that are very difficult to to really predict you don't know how you're going to react when God moves. It's one of the delights of the Lord. And it's just the way God moves. So for any messianic visitation, which is what is appealed to here in Isaiah 51, the experience of Sasson, the outward expression, the, the, the realization, begins the process. And afterwards, the abiding simcha comes. So I think that is an incredible thing for us to recognize. That really, I think, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Um, we should always be having that delight of the Lord within us. We should always have that expectation we should always have that inter the internal um, fragrance of delight in him. And that sets the stage to partner with God. And that sets the stage to say, um, you're going to do what you're going to do. 
and we're going to see an outward manifestation of it, and it is, it is going to be incredible. The intercessor bases his or her life on the simcha. We don't focus on the end result. We focus, we don't focus on the earthquake. We focus on the voice. We don't focus on the turning things upside down. We focus on the expression, the appeal to God in contrition. That more aligns itself with the simcha. And knowing full well then that the progression of voice thunders, lightnings, earthquakes will produce that thing that they used to say of the disciples, those who've turned the world upside down have come nigh unto us. So why is this significant? In Isaiah 34, you see God telling them through the prophet that they need to get their hearts right. They need to begin to think differently because there is coming a great visitation. In Isaiah 51, when the awakening of the arm of the Lord is coming, the, the external deliverance of God is first that then creates the rejoicing. So why that is important here in Zechariah 8 with what we're studying and what we're praying about is, is very exciting and it's, it's very significant for us to see. And I think some of you perhaps, I hope if you've been listening, you've already gone ahead and recognized what this means. Because in Zechariah 19, where it speaks about the months, it says very clearly that we're going to have to the house of Judah joy, saison, and gladness. There is the saison and simcha, which is God is about to move. God is on the scene. Time is up. What God has prophesied is on the doorstep. So all of you folks need to act like it. You've been for 70 years or 69 or how many ever they were doing it. You've been lamenting and complaining and griping and you've been in despair. You've been employing the sorrow and mourning, the antonyms of these things. You've been doing the exact opposite of what God requires in the Simcha and the Sasson. But now the Lord of hosts comes and says, it's time, it's time. And you need in this month, in these four months, you need to act like it's time and you need to be mentioning Sasson and Simcha, the day of messianic deliverance is here so you begin to express and you let that settle in it is an active thing now i don't know what they did they were obviously singing they were doing away with sorrow and mourning those antonym factors and i i don't know exactly how they expressed themselves but Sasson demands an external expression. Sasson demands a realization. Sasson demands uh, the, uh, the realization that uh, the process is just about completed and something wonderful is about to occur. And so why is this important for us in this month of prayer? We are ready by the directive of the Lord to see, we've already begun to see incredible things happen. The day of miracles has really come upon us and we're going to see the harvest in ways that we've only been as those who dreamed about. And so we need to begin to act like it. And so tonight and during this month, but particularly today, as we come to pray, or as you pray wherever it is that you are, uh, I, I know that we need to specifically focus ourselves toward, as we pray in the Spirit, toward what God is going to do.
and we need to give him thanks for it. We need to rejoice for it. And um, so that's, that's the mandate tonight. Um, maybe, uh, maybe some of you need to begin your prayer time with the waving of the banner or maybe even dancing before the Lord or waving your hands before. Do some physical expressions and then reflect on how wonderful it is that God is about to move, that he's already begun to move, and begin to set your heart in alignment with what you need to be feeling and processing as that move is coming. A lot of times, as we've said before many times, success has been the death knell, death knell of most movements of the Spirit among people because people uh, don't know how to deal with success. They don't know how to deal with the miraculous. The, the outpouring of, uh, of the goodness of God is almost like a lottery winning that very often destroys families. We've got to position ourselves to begin to expect breakthroughs, immediate breakthroughs and what, what we need to be thinking as those happen, and how we need to stay on an even keel, be hungry and full, to be filled but yet hungry. This is very important for us, and I believe that that is why God says in a messianic way in Zechariah 8, he breaks the pattern that they were used to, the normative pattern, where Simcha precedes Sasson. And here he says, all right, it's time. Get ready. And I'm saying to you, it's time. It's time. I told this testimony briefly this past Sunday morning when we were able to link in on the new equipment from Arizona. And I mentioned a, a, a bit more about it on our broadcast on Tuesday from Saints Radio. But for the purposes of encouragement, I wanted to tell this testimony again. It's probably the last time I'll tell it. Maybe I will later on in months to come, but uh, it really was profound. You know, I had the privilege of going out to visit with our church Saints family in Tucson, Arizona. And that state has been suffering with uh, drought over the past couple of years. Uh, and uh, it's, there's a large portion of it that is classified as desert. It's beautiful to see the cactus and the, and the, the various dimensions of wilderness, but um, it's, it, it, it portrays the fact that it can be very hot there. And not only has it been drought, but it's been really, really hot. And so when God spoke to me very clearly, it's time for you to travel again, which I hadn't gone anywhere in the past 20 months. Um, he said, you need to go to Arizona. I love the folks there. They know that. I know it. The American people know it. But who used to say that? Bob Dole. To Nebraska senator. But um, if I was going to try to find the time to go out there, I wouldn't go right smack dab in the middle of the summer in the middle of a drought. But that's what God said to do, and I was happy to do it. And it was a really strange feeling to go to DFW Airport after I'd been traveling for years now, all, every month somewhere, and it's been a blessing to be able to reach out across the nations. But then all of a sudden, the pandemic stopped travel. And for 20 months, I hadn't traveled. So it was a strange feeling to go back through uh, the TSA and get ready to fly. And when I got to Tucson, I walked outside. And just as I'm familiar with this in Texas, I got hit with a blast of heat. And it was, it, I knew, oh man, OK. Uh, at least I live in Texas, so it's not like I'm sitting under a tree in the hills of West Virginia and it's, it's 80 degrees is hot. I'm used to being hot, but this was desert hot. And I knew that God wanted us to believe that this drought be broken 
and that the, 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 the intemperate heat would be brought down. And uh, I didn't know how he was going to do it. We'd receive prophetic words. We were declaring things uh, as Joshua did and commanding the, the, the celestials to stand still. But uh, you never know exactly how God's going to do a thing like what he wanted to do and what he eventually did do. So the long and short of it is that first night, normally, whenever I go out there, we spend a couple of hours in Proskuneo praying. And it was so good to see all the folks again and um, to just lay on the floor and seek our Heavenly Father together. And I suppose we hadn't been praying for maybe an hour, and all of a sudden, I could, we all heard the thunder just booming. Now, it was not supposed to have been raining. I mean, it wasn't supposed, it wasn't predicted by the meteorological people, um, but nevertheless, the, the thunder came. And then you could see, just even with your eyes closed, you could see the flashing that lightning would be. And then all of a sudden we heard just incredible wind and then it started raining, and it was pouring down rain. And the funniest thing was, this, this is, the Smiths live in a beautiful home, but somehow that wind was so strong and that rain was so intense, or maybe it was just a miracle. But the rain, there was rain that was hitting all of us in the room where we were praying. It was an enclosed room. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't shoddy construction. Rain was hitting all of us. It was on the floor. It was on our shirts. It was, it was a miracle. It really was. And so the kids were opening the door, and people were going, and the rain was just blowing. They, the, the weather people said that there had been 70-mile-an-hour gusts of, of wind, and it was just it was raining, and that 100-plus-degree temperature, my phone was registering that it was 72 degrees, it was glorious to stand out there on that porch and feel the rain splattering around us, blowing in, and the cooler temperature. It was, it was a glorious surprise. And since that time, the temperatures out there have been lower. I've returned to Dallas. They got, got a report that there was a significant rain yesterday in Tucson, and there's supposed to be rain throughout this week and lower temperatures. I think one day the, the high was supposed to be 84. Can you imagine that? Now that is a miraculous term. And it means something in the natural. But it, those things are signs of what God's doing in, this, in the spiritual. You know, we've studied the progression of voices, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes that are found in Scripture and how that, that pattern really depicts how a thunderstorm is formed. And we've talked about how that thunderstorms are nature's way of restoring the balance of climactic condition. So even in heaven, there is, there is the indication you know, in, in, in Revelation, the verse that precedes one of the tellings of voices, thunders, was the prayers of the saints rising before God as incense. And God, God wants us to realize that as we continue to seek his kingdom and pray and believe him for what he wants to do and believe him for his restoration, we must become contrite. And, and that the convection of the wind of the Spirit will draw us up into the secret place of thunder by God's throne. And there, as we uh, receive the burden of the Lord with myriad numbers of others who come together in intercession, God ignites us with the, with the, with the lightning. And it, 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 the, the sons of God are as lightning shot from his quiver as an arrow. And then when that touches earth, the earthquake comes. Things are turned right side up. Where there has been division, God then restores. 
That's God's pattern of intercession. And that's why it's so important for us to see when God does something like what I just detailed, which was witnessed by many, so it wasn't some evangelistic tale that I just made up and nobody could verify. We all were recipients of that and happy to be recipients of it. When God does something like that, it is indicative of his moving at the throne. Not just to bring natural rain as much as a blessing as that is, but to pour out the former and the latter rain upon the seeds of his, of his uh, promise and his inheritance. And so God's Spirit is doing something profound out in the West. God knows they need it out there. But even more so, the things that we don't see, and those things that we aren't perhaps realizing right now in the natural, they're happening in the Spirit. And we need to be in this seventh month, no, we need to realize that the Lord, God Almighty, is at the head of his army. And what he's going to do in the immediate days to come is phenomenal. And we need to begin to reach past the, the shackles of unbelief and woundings and despairs and bitterness and to reach forward into the promise of God. We know that we've been praying and believing. It's not like, like I said earlier, the intercessor, the contrition of lifting our voices does not begin with the sasson. It doesn't. It doesn't begin with the realization. This is where many Christians fail when it comes to intercession. They think, well, if I say this and quote a couple scriptures and debate and argue and go to the legal courts, it'll be done today. I'll see it today. The faith movement really did good things, but it hurt a lot of people because they were, they were told, well, if you do this, by the time you get home, you'll have it. Well, well, you just didn't have enough faith or, you know, you just, uh, maybe you missed it. Maybe you let doubt in your heart and a drive home. And, you know, people became really in despair instead of learning the true principles of how God moves. God is more interested in the journey with you than he is the end result. The end result is not up for grabs. It's going to be what he said. So if you focus on that the whole time, you're going to miss out in the walk of faith. And it is a walk of faith. It is the journey that God is interested in because he wants you. He wants to partner with you. So to develop your intercession, to serve God and to trust him, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. To have those internal beginnings that we should not despise the day of, that is the beginning point. And that's really where we walk. The promise will come. But if you focus on the promise and you after two days are just griping because, oh, I guess I missed it, or God, I just don't understand, or, you know, or even if it's been two months, even if it's been a couple of years. Um, I, uh, God, is, God is faithful. What he said, he will do. He will honor his promises. He is with you in the valley. He loves you there. David said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because you are with me and that's the greatest miracle of all that we are with the almighty god jesus gave himself that we might know our father in heaven through him only through him we know our father in heaven jesus redeemed us to the father so that we might know him and know his glory that's the key point the visitations of miracles and, and uh, fulfillment of promises, those are going to come. But, you know, do you ever realize 
like, for instance, you look, this is a, a really mundane illustration. But people spend months getting ready for Christmas. And it's a beautiful thing. I love it. They'll decorate the house. They'll go out and buy presents, hide them. They'll get them wrapped. They think about what they should get. And they meticulously search for it all. It's going to be a great day. They, they get their home ready. Uh, and they, they send out cards. They greet. They sing uh, Christmas songs that are just delightful. They rejoice at the nativity story. They go to programs. All those things. Then Christmas comes. And so... It's the season of rejoicing that really is setting the stage for the fulfillment. It's the simcha of what's going on inside that sets the stage for the natural. And when the natural comes, if you've not built up that bastion of strength inside, you could go into depression. That's why so many people on, in, uh, in uh, our cities and in the nations go into depression during the holiday times because they don't know how to deal with that, those swings of how all of a sudden there's a buildup. Now, some people get depressed, I know, because they're having a blue Christmas without you. But most people don't know how to handle the downtime. And what we have to do is build up that simcha, that internal joy. But when God moves, when God is about to fulfill his promise in his timing, that realization's coming, it's there, and then you follow it up with expressions of building for the new. That's how the seven, the, the seven days, that Sabbath day, the seventh day, it should be a time of reflection and rejoicing and looking forward into the new. It's a time where you don't do anything but look to Him. That's what the Sabbath is for. We made it into legalism in the church, but it really is for reflection and assessment of what's coming next. See, God builds that into wherever we are, but, but in, in whatever we do for him, but it begins with the simcha, and then it brings a culmination. So we find ourselves here, though, on the precipice of a great breakthrough. The culmination is, is upon us. The miracle is, is ahead. The harvest is about to be revealed in unprecedented ways, and that's why... In Zechariah 8, you see that messianic telling. We're there right now. We're there right now. How will we handle it? So today, as we come to pray, or wherever it is that you're hearing this and you're praying, whether it's on a Wednesday night or some other day of the week, I believe that God wants us to express our absolute delight at what is immediately ahead, the breakthrough. And, and we reflect then on how we're going to respond, how we're going to handle that, how we're going to cause our thanks to him for being faithful to his promise to be expressed, and how we're going to begin to gear ourselves up for what then becomes the work of harvest. This is what we must pray about. And this is how we must rejoice in the Lord tonight. And of course, if you have sorrow and mourning, if you're dwelling in those antonyms that God doesn't want you to have, you need to get rid of them, purge them. That's, of course, the fast of feasting. Get rid of that. But don't just get rid of things. Replace them with what should be there. Overcome darkness with light. Overcome evil with good. Overcome missing the mark with hitting the mark. Does that make sense? So, that is our message today for Wednesday Night Live. And again, 
We look forward in Dallas to coming to pray. Some of you who perhaps can't come at six, you pray wherever you are. Let's lift up the Lord as we've learned to do over these past couple of years from our own home. But for those who can come, let's come and rejoice. And let's act like God is about to move because you know what? He is. He's moving even now. And he's doing that on behalf of his harvest field, but he's also doing it in your life. Expect the miracles that you've been believing God for. Expect his provision. Sometimes when God begins to move, people are disappointed because God didn't do it the way they thought. And I'm kind of glad, as I've said many times before, that God didn't give me everything I ask him for in the way I ask him for it. Because when I was asking for it, I really was asking for it. That's a, that, Luke, that is a phrase. You're really asking for it. That means you're going you're gonna to get a wallop. I'm glad God didn't give me everything I asked for when I, because I was really asking for it. God gave me what I needed and I was much blessed because of it. The day of miracles is upon you. You've, many of you have already been receiving. We've been walking in this. Let's act like it. Let's do away with any antonym of joy and gladness. And let's begin to rejoice, realizing that this pattern in Zechariah speaks that God is here and he's ready to move. And I know that's the case for all of us in the fields of our Father, in his timetable at this moment. Heavenly Father, I bless your saints. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for all of the wonderful things that you have shown us in vision and in dream and prophetically. I thank you for the way you have communicated this journey to us. We simply want to serve you and we want to be positioned obediently to partner with you in this unprecedented outpouring of the miraculous. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for your goodness. I speak blessing over these saints now. May they feel your presence and know your might now in Jesus' name and bless our prayer times, whether it's tonight or at whatever time the people of God are hearing this broadcast. We thank you for it, Father, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you at the throne. Till next time, God bless and goodbye.